Well, good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas to you. Today we celebrate that, that lyric, born this happy morning, born this happy morning. This is, I'm so glad to see all of you that have come out to actually celebrate with us as family, the birth of our King. It's an important, important time. And I think often we get caught up, uh, if you think of just Man, what led up to the last few weeks? Some of you have been trying to get the right, perfect present for somebody, make sure that you're blessing them. Some of you are realizing you forgot to include people on your list that you were sending out your Christmas cards to, right? And there's all this like anxiety about the season. That can get us off track. And I can tell you, it happens for me as well. And it's funny, C.S. Lewis In his writing of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's a character that's the fawn, Mr. Tumnus. And he has this line, and it's actually kind of a a grouping of lines that's separated. And I want you to see this because I think it captures it well. It is winter in Narnia, said Mr. Tumnus, and has been forever so long. Always winter, but never Christmas. You see, Tumnus was grabbing a hold of something that was true of Narnia. Because of the White Witch, it was always winter. It was always cold. It was always like there was expectation of something true, but it was always untrue. The expectation of something that was right, but it was always unright. So Tumnus says this. And I think, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel it. I mean, as a pastor, we do so much work as we come into this season. There's so many things to do because we want to celebrate our king. We want to give him glory. But sometimes that work is overwhelming. Sometimes I forget. Even preparing a sermon for Christmas Day, you forget about the very subject of Christmas. Has that ever happened to you? Is it ever like rolling through your mind as you come to these weeks approaching Christmas? I mean, I've even got like... I got personal problems going on, like my back went out a few weeks ago, I've got my doctor telling me I've got a diagnosis that I don't like, and those things fight against each other, like my back doesn't allow me to exercise, I need exercise to help with this other diagnosis. It's just, it feels like winter sometimes, in a time that it should not. And that's, that's why we're here today. I want to tell you, spoiler alert, it is no longer winter. Spring has dawned, and we must remember this. That is what this day is about. It's about the promise of Christmas, the promise of a king, the promise of so many things. And I'm not going to have time to go through a whole lot of them. I'm going to go through just a few of them with you. But I want to talk about the idea of promise. Let's think about promise for a second. Promises are interesting because not all promises are equal. Let me, let me explain what I mean by that. Let's think of this. How many of you have an advent calendar at home? Anybody, any of the kiddos in the room, you got an advent calendar and you like, the whole point is you, you have numbers on this thing and you're like, when I hit the day of the number, I'm opening the door and I get something, whether it be a word of encouragement. Those are probably not the kids' versions. Chocolate. It's chocolate. Chocolate, that's exactly the other one. It's a good chocolate, maybe a little toy or something, but there is a promise. And an advent calendar literally is a series of promises. You go to the Advent calendar each day of of the coming up into Christmas and you pop a door open with expectation that something will be there. But what happens if, like, you got a defective Advent calendar? Let's just take this as a supposition. It's defective. You go to day one, you open the door, and you're like, what? 
Nada. Nothing. A broken promise. Something missing. Right? Now, let's talk about this. What about when you go to day two? Are you expecting the promise to come true? Are you expecting that this thing is going to somehow give you what you want? Well, that's good that you do. But let's, let's think about it. If it doesn't, who do you go to? Who are you angry with? What, are, what, what kind of uh, correction to the injury do you have? You really don't have much, right? This is made by a company far away, and you don't know what it is. You might go back and try to return it and so forth. But ultimately, the point is it broke its promise, and really, it doesn't have the real power of resolving it for you necessarily, Right? The, the Advent calendar, there is something missing it. There's a power or something like that that's not quite there. So if it fails you, there's not necessarily an expectation that it will resolve. Once you get to day two, most of you parents, you're like, I'm not going back to Target. I'm going to open day two. If day two has a chocolate, we're good. Rock and roll. So there's a value to those promises. You see, promises are not equal. I'll give you another example. Let's just say you have a friend. Jeffrey Jingleheimer Schmidt. And Jeffrey Jingleheimer Schmidt, you call him Jeffy. Jeffy, yesterday you let Jeffy borrow, actually, no, sorry. Jeffy let you have, or you let him have, your cheddar goldfish. How many like cheddar goldfish? Anyone in the room? Yeah, you could eat like handfuls of them. Well, you gave yours to Jeffy. And Jeffy's like, oh man, tomorrow I got you set. Fruit roll up for you. And I'm not talking about like the circular ones. I'm talking about the fruit by the foot. You know, the ones that come like lemonade and strawberry you can hang out of your mouth like a tongue. That, I'm not joking. I know you think I'm appealing to the kids in the room. I love those. They're awesome. They're awesome. But the day rolls around, lunch comes. Jeffy, what's up? Jeffy says, you know, man, that fruit by the foot was just too delicious. I just... I just can't give it to you. I just, I can't, I can't meet my commitment. I can't meet my promise to you because it's just too much. What do you think would happen? I mean, maybe you want to sock Jeffy in the face. Maybe it impacts your relationship with Jeffy. Maybe you'd start talking bad about Jeffy around the, the schoolyard and lunch yard. You're like, no, don't trust Jeffy. Jeffy doesn't give you his fruit roll up. But you see, there's, a, there's actually a difference between these two scenarios. The second scenario, there's like a relationship that actually gets somehow infested or somehow broken because a promise wasn't kept. You can't say that with an advent calendar, really, but you can with Jeffy. And this is what I want to get at today. There is a power of promise that we come and we celebrate today that we cannot forget because otherwise we will be looking at all the winter that's going on around us. You won't see that change has happened. You will be reminded of the difficulty you're having in whatever, right? There's so many things. And, and the thing is, I didn't tell you my own challenges. It's just as an example, because each of you have similar and even greater things that maybe you've struggled with in the season, and maybe it's saying, hey, it's simply just winter. And I'm here to tell you, no, that's what today is all about. Today is a reminder of what promises from God are meant to be, because these promises come from a different place. They come from someone who is far more trustworthy 
And we have to remember this. In order to move forward, you have to understand what's happening in these promises. And these promises are littered throughout Scripture. Now, I'm going to not take much of your time today. It is Christmas Day. We've come to celebrate and glorify our King. But I want to take just a couple pictures from Scripture to show you that, no, 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 God makes promises. There's this pattern that happens throughout Scripture. It starts the very beginning. Adam and Eve. Most of you know this. Most of you are here. You know this story. You know how God creates. He creates order out of chaos. He creates good and he creates humanity to be kind of his, his vice regents to kind of take his will and way into all of creation. It's, it's I mean, it's, it's more than a promise. It's like a gift of, of life and a gift of creation all around them and a gift of purpose. He takes people and he puts them in a place and he gives them purpose. It's a story that we should always remember. But we know what happens next. Turn the page. Turn the page and you see humanity failing to take on the vocation, the purpose that it has. Because in essence, all they decided was, look, I want to define good and evil myself. That's what the eating of that fruit is. It is a taking over. It's being conned into the idea that you can actually define these things on your own. This is happening in culture all around us. That you can define good and evil. Hey, if it's good for you, it's okay. Right? So from the very first pages, you have this idea of God giving, people receiving, and then a failure occurs, and consequence happens. Adam and Eve are expelled from the good place. I mean, their intent was to take this Eden reality and like have it pulsate through their lives and their progeny into all of the corners of the earth. That's what it was supposed to be. Now they're being expelled. But it does come, even then, with a promise. When God curses a serpent, he says this, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Some of you might know this. There's a, there's a technical term. It's called the proto-euangelion. It's basically saying, no, there is going to be one, even though the offspring of good and evil are, are hitting like this. God is promising there'll be one to crush the serpent, a serpent crusher. Very first, I mean, this is page three, page four, depending on how big your text is. Maybe some of you, it's like page 12. God makes a promise out from the very beginning after he's already fulfilled on promise, giving creation, giving life, giving purpose, giving land, giving place. And it continues from there. We'll jump ahead. There's a story of Abraham and who comes from him, Israel, right? This is a good chunk of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And then you hear about kings after that and so forth. Abraham was called as a blessing. In Genesis, it says this, right? After all of the spiraling of all of the evil that happens in the garden comes down to this place where a tower of Babel is built, a way that people can, again, they're defining good and evil. They're wanting to make their way. They're, they're trying to make it on their own as if they could, as if they could be gods. And God grabs this guy named Abram, who would later be renamed Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country 
and your kindred and your, your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and in him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I want you to see how many times it says I will. The God of the universe is willing something to happen. He's telling Abram, this is going to be your story. This is the story of you and your legacy. Later, he promises that his legacy would be a multitude, that his people would be like the sands of the seashore. Stars. And the story gets a little wobbly in there. But then you come to actually Israel itself. There's a whole people, the 12 tribes of Israel come from Abraham. And they're called to the same thing. They're they're being told, you're going to get a a promised land. But they've ended up in Egypt, and they need salvation. They need to be saved. They cannot do it on their own. And the God of the universe comes in, saves them. And then he'd say stuff like this. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Moses takes on this idea of mediator, and he's the one who's, who's receiving this information, passing it on to Israel. You are going to be a treasured possession. You can hear the echoes of Abraham's blessing to the nations come funneling through. God has now saved them. He's putting them into a promised place, a place where they can actually shine like a light to all the nations. But if you read forward you recognize what happens. They don't quite get that done. In fact, there's complaining and grumbling. Some are even told that they would never make it into the promised land because of the folly that they went, the the path of folly that they went down. God gives. We receive. And somehow folly gets involved. Somehow sin, somehow our brokenness, our frailty Makes it impossible. Just, you just, what? How is this promise going to come true? How is this promise to Abraham, how is this promise of a serpent crusher going to come true? Because to be honest, when you and I feel like it's winter around us, it's pretty hard to operate thinking that we're going to be part of this thing. So imagine Israel and Abraham who was taken out of his own country, comes out of a pagan nation, told to cross the border and take me as, your, as my God with you into this place with a bunch of other gods. Now Israel said, no, you're supposed to worship this one God in the middle of all these nations who, who worship all these gods. And it doesn't go well, even to the point of leadership. Another character on the scene is there are these kings that come from Israel's request. They're like, we want to be like, like other nations. We need a king. We need a leader who would actually help us to do this. We need someone that would step in and lead us in this path of actually being able to ward off all of the idols and gods around us and the nations around us. And actually, God, in his wisdom and wonder, gives. And there's this king, David, who unites the people of Israel And it's looking like this positive story. And you would hear this coming from from God about David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. 
He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Again, you have this promise that's coming from the God of the universe. You will be a blessing. You will be my treasured possession. You were designed to be a light to the nations. And I am going to give you the leader of all leaders, the leader that would carry everything. But if you follow the book of Kings or the books of, of Chronicles, you'll see that, man, it's not good. David, who is seen by the New Testament authors as someone after God's own heart, you see this, this spiraling effect of the, the kings after that they would get into idolatry. They would be caught up in all of the things that are going on around them and, and taking it in. This, the, the way they would lead is the way all the other cultures lead to the point that they, Israel, who is supposed to be a treasure possession, looking, like everyone, looking not like everyone else, begins to look like the very nations that they were supposed to be a light to. Promise after promise. You have to see from, from the whole of the Old Testament, there's this feeling of what can make these promises come true? What can make winter come untrue? And that's what the Advent is about. The Advent actually just means coming. So it's the idea that something at least is coming. If you think about, think about the Advent calendars again. Imagine presenting just a few ideas I've had in the, in the sense of an Advent calendar. You open day number one, and God gives creation, gives vocation, gives role and goodness and, a, and an ability to go out and take his ways into all the world. And humanity responds with rebellion and rejection. Open day two. And you see Abraham called as, a, as, as one who'd have a, a whole legacy to him. That would end up being this people of Israel who are designed to be a light to the nations. He's given them a place to operate out of. He's given them his very presence in what we call the temple or the tabernacle leading up to that point. And they respond with idolatry and rebellion. Day three, another day you open up and he says, I'm going to give you the king of all kings, the one who's, who would have the throne forever my representative. And these kings would do some of the worst abominations ever. Does that make the promises untrue? Does that make winter stay? And I'd say, no, that's exactly why we are here. Because you can open up as many of those doors as you want and see all of these promises. And no matter in our frailty, in our folly, when we fail to meet our side of the bargain, when we fail to live up to his promises, his promises remain secure. That's what today's about. 
It's about opening the 25th door. And on this 25th door, I'm telling you, I mean, you could, you could fill all the Advent calendars that you can imagine with the promises of God, right? But imagine, like, if you were giving God, like humanity is giving God an Advent calendar. That's the defective one. It opens door one, I'm like, oh, that's pretty bad. Door two, oh. But yet God, even, even when we might create or only see winter, he brings resolve. There's a cycle that happens in the Bible. You can see it. It's crazy. God promises or calls. Then you see humanity kind of join into that, fail. We receive consequence, and God steps in and gives a restorative promise. Mm-mm, it's not going to stay like this. Not happening. And the New Testament talks about this as well. The very first verse in your New Testament says this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. They're like, spoiler alert, you have literally this one verse saying, this one has come. The one who would be like the true true Abraham. The one who would be from the line of David with that eternal throne. I don't even need to go through the genealogy. You see that the very king of the universe is going to be on display as the New Testament begins. Somehow Matthew, in his inspiration from the Spirit, just like lays it on us immediately. In the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul goes through these ideas showing that, no, righteousness comes by faith, faith in one. It says this, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring, his seed. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. It says, and to your offspring, who is Christ. The very one we're waiting for, the seed that would come from Abraham, the seed that would be the dragon crusher, is here. And Paul continues, For as many of us as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. This is, what we, this is what this day means. And I mean, it may be hard to understand, but literally, somehow, Jesus is this seed, this wonderful, majestic seed. He is the one who, from the throne, that would take the throne of David forever. And somehow, if you really pay attention to this, you're like, oh, and now I'm part of that seed. The book of Hebrews says it in some of the most vast language you can imagine long ago at many times and in many ways god spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world he is the radiance of the glory of god and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power this is not a normal a normal promise This is the most powerful promise you can imagine. This is done by the one, the faithful one, that no matter how we have failed in humanity, has failed to meet our sides of bargains, he knows and loves and cares and is motivated and steps in and says, no, I will solve this problem by my power, the same that creates the universe. The exact imprint of his nature. 
Hebrews continues, it says this, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. This is the promise. Death has been undone. Winter is no more. And it is through the sun. And this is where it gets tricky because I think a lot of times we start to look at this in an unusual way. I think it's really easy for us uh, and it's good to be able to look at the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and pour all of our weight there. But you understand today is about something that actually is super important in those chain of events. We call it the incarnation. It's the idea that you know, rather than, I think sometimes in our heads we think like, oh, well, God was this like cosmic tourist who jumped down, kind of took care of stuff, and then boop, he's back up and back where he belongs. And I'm going to tell you, if your theology goes there, you're missing some huge things, huge, immense implications of what Jesus has done. The book of Hebrews has already hinted at this, that there's something in this enfleshing of Jesus he is the exact imprint. You see, this is, it is the, like the forever ultimate face of what God sees in you and you and me. Because he didn't just like Superman this thing. He didn't just pop in, alien, go back. No. He didn't just put on a flesh suit, get rid of it. If you look at the resurrection accounts, it's a bodily resurrection. I have a really good friend who recently I was able to play as a new baby and I was holding that baby. You have this child cradled in your arms, so vulnerable, so weak, but so glorious. You can hear, I mean, I think if you just, you're silent enough, you can hear the coos, the little sounds, the little breathing sounds that come from this lovely little baby. And you can tell there's something majestic about this moment. I mean, my kids are older. I had that moment with them, but it's hard. I am, I'm over 50. I don't remember them things very well. But this majesty, this majesty of holding this, this baby, and I think, God did this? Somehow, there was an importance to this, that, the, that God would become flesh and dwell among us. And, and I, this is what I think we miss. Do you realize that you read the whole Bible and you're like, this divine heaven and earth coming together that we see in Eden, man, it just seems like it can't, it can't continue, it can't happen. It's like two com- incompatible sources. It's like they just can't come together. And yet, in the incarnation, you see that the way God loves you is He becomes like you. In every way. He is for us, with us, and like us. Your salvation, my salvation, can't happen outside of that. Not in an eternal sense. Can't. Because these two incompatible, seemingly incompatible things, God says, no, no, mm mm-mm. The way I love you is I literally are going to make these things come together in a way that is 
brings us together and bonds with us in this human way. Two natures, one person, and then he invites us through his spirit. Come, walk with me. Live how I live. See things the way I see them. And look, I'm also, I'm empowering you that you can actually carry this with you and be successful. Any failures you have, I've dealt with. Death is done. Your sin is done. You can lean in and stop doing the things that that actually are against my will. You can go and do the same things that were intended in Eden. You can actually be a part of the restoration of all things and remind them. You're pointing all to God, giving glory and worship to the King of the universe. C.S. Lewis actually has another. There's this part where Mr. Beaver is talking to the Pevensey kids, if any of you know this story. And he says, there's this, there's this rhyme that's going around the forest because they start asking questions about the white witch and so forth. And this is what Beaver says. This is the, the rhyme that everyone gets. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more when he bears his teeth. Winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. Winter is done for. No matter how cold the season is that you feel is happening now, even in the middle of this day when we open the 25th door of the Advent calendar, I know there's not one there, just so you know. This is Christmas. This is why we come here. This is, this is how we know that God has said, I am so with you. I would come and bring these two things together that seem like they shouldn't be. And spring again. And it says, there's a line right after this that says, you'll know everything when you see him. And ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, the point of the incarnation is now you have, and not only that, but the very exact imprint of the God of the universe. So this is what I I pray, that you would carry this with you today. The king would go through every measure possible, beyond what you can imagine, to resolve your and my cosmic problem, the fact that we can't be faithful. No, he will help us be faithful because he is the truly faithful one. All those promises, and I went through what? I went through three? I'm telling you there are more, but they're all pointing not to promise you always great health or that you won't suffer, but it's promising you you have a king who's on his throne and he will carry you through whatever storm and whatever winter you think is happening because spring has come. So I pray that you take that with me. We're going to invite the worship team, I think, back up, and I'm going to go through communion. If you would, if you haven't got your communion, the ushers can pass it out.